Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. He koonai pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. The sound of a machine moving snow, which they do a lot of at Scott Base. There's a world photograph sign in front of Scott Base, which is an automobile association, an old-fashioned kilometres to distance sign. South Pole... 1,353 kilometres. Wellington, New Zealand, 4,080 kilometres. If you'd like to go to London, that's 17,039 kilometres. So we're quite a long way from anywhere. How far south are we? There's another thing over here that'll tell us. Oh, it's very windy. Scott Bay's latitude, 77 degrees. 51 minutes south. Kia ora, I'm Alison Balance and this is Voices from Antarctica from RNZ. This is part two, Scott Base. I've finally made it to New Zealand's Antarctic station, situated at Pram Point on the southern tip of Ross Island in McMurdo Sound. It's my first full day on the ice. And now I'm heading back into the main Scott Base building, which is a long rabbit warren of different buildings. So minus 10 out here. I have cold knees at the moment because I'm not properly dressed. Oh, and it's toasty and warm in here. After a week's delay getting here, I've got a busy schedule today, including catching a ride on a helicopter to visit some penguin scientists working from a field camp. Well, that's the plan, anyway. I'm Andrew Hefford, helicopter pilot for Southern Lakes Helicopters. So you're meant to be flying us today to Cape Crozier, but... Uh, uh, meant what? to be, but the weather's no good. Um, it's low cloud, the visibility's not very good, and very flat light, so we wouldn't be like flying into a big white cloud, basically. So. Yeah, so it's pretty hard to tell where the sea ice, for instance, stops and the sky starts? Exactly, that's it. Um, you can't tell, so it's just too dangerous, and we just stay on the ground. Tomorrow's another day. Indeed. So what's it like flying down here? Uh, brilliant. Yep, no, it's great. See a lot of cool stuff. The dry valleys, we've been over Erebus quite a bit, so we've been looking into the crater a wee bit. And do you have to bring the helicopter down each summer? So we bring it down mid-October generally on a C-17, and it goes home in mid-February on a C-17. Do you have to do anything special to your helicopter to be able to fly it down here? Um, yep, so we put heat pads on the oil reservoir, the uh, transmission, and tail rotor transmission, and we plug it on each night when we tie it down, put big covers over it, and then... Uh, that keeps it warm, and we also have dual batteries, so the batteries get affected by the cold quite a bit, so we put an extra battery in just for down here. Yeah, the cabin doesn't have a heater in it during the night, so when we get in there it's nice and cold, but, um, but the engine's warm, that's the main thing. 
So how many days do you get like this where you can't do the flying you um, need to do? Most days you can get somewhere. Most days, yep. Unless a big storm comes in and sits in for a few days, but yeah, generally it's not too bad. So we'll just get up tomorrow and see what the weather's have doing tomorrow. Have a look tomorrow. at the weather. It's, it is looking better tomorrow. We'll wake up in the morning, have a look out the window and see what you can see. <sighs> so another day waiting. So this morning we spent doing Antarctic field training. Ah, oh, that was good. Remembering what you have to do to be safe outside. Uh, we practised lighting the f- emergency stoves, so if we get caught out, we can make ourselves a warm drink or a, something to eat. We p- went outside and put up the tent in the wind. It was quite cold. The temperatures dropped to about minus 14, and by the time you add the wind chill in, it's about minus 24. So getting crisp, just about enough to freeze the hair in your nostrils. So I am just heading up to the field store and I can see some Antarctic newbies getting ready to go camping. So I might go and ask them what it is they're up to. Hello Antarctic field training team. What are you doing? Right now I'm trying to figure out how to zip up my outer sleeping bag which goes on the outside of my inner sleeping bag which goes on the outside of my inner lining. And all of that gets wrapped up into a outer sleeping bag shell. Crikey, that's a lot of layers. <laughs> Hopefully it's going to keep me warm tonight, sleeping out in uh, potentially minus 30 degree temperatures. I'm incredibly excited. Um, and it's going to be bright the whole night, which is something that's going to be new to me. Sleeping out all night in the sunshine. And I should get you to say, who are you? I'm Benjamin Brooking. I'm a director and cameraman making a a series of episodes about Antarctic science. It's called Science on Ice. It's going to be on Hey Hey. Georgia. Hello. I'm getting ready for my very first frozen camping experience. I just asked if I could have another inner sleeping bag, but apparently that, that won't keep me warm. I've seen people wear their beanies to bed, so I think that might be me as well. Socks? Definitely socks. And you're looking after these people? Yeah, so I'm the, I'm the one that's uh, going to be taking them out for the night and uh, making sure they, they survive and try and get them to have a, a semi-comfortable night's sleep. Um, but the main thing is just pass along some tips and um, just try and help make their life a bit more comfortable if they even end up in this situation for real. So before they get to get in their sleeping bag, what do they have to do? Cook some food. Um, we're going to be making a bit of a shelter out there tonight as well, so we'll learn how to cut up some snow blocks, build a wall, just so that you can get out of the wind um, if you ever need to. And then just uh, just some ways to prevent water freezing and, and just tricks to help keep things warm during the night. So what do they have to do, for instance, with their bottle of water? Uh, the bottle of water, um, good little trick. If you like your hot water bottle, you can put hot boiling water right into it, put that into your inner sleeping bag, and it gives you something uh, nice and warm to cuddle up to. And it means it's not going to freeze overnight? Ideally not. If it, if it freezes in the inner sleeping bag, <laughs> we're, we're in trouble. <laughs> Do they have to put a tent up as well? Yes, we will be putting a tent up uh, tonight, and, um, and they'll be learning how to, how to tie a tent down into the snowpack, which will be a little bit different because we have to put anchors into the snowpack. Uh, we can't use any sort of peg down here, so yeah. That'll be some new skills to learn. And my last person in this group, can I get you to introduce yourself? Tēnā tātou, my name is Sunny Ngātai, and I'm the presenter for this show, Science on Ice. The, the temperatures here are like minus 22 degrees, and 
it's a very new concept of weather for someone from Rotorua. Have fun out there. Thank you very much, and uh, hopefully I come back to, to base tomorrow in one piece. So the kids' TV crew have a field trainer looking after them, and so do I, and his name is, very appropriately, Scott. I'm working down here as a field trainer for the summer. Um, so essentially when scientists come down, I'll conduct their sort of initial training, um, helping them with the basic survival skills to live and work safely in Antarctica. And then while they're out in the field, I'll be um, making sure that everything's ticking along smoothly, that I'm managing the safety side of things while they're focused on their event. So which part of Scott Base are we in here? Uh, we're currently downstairs in the HFC, heading over towards the, the waste management side of the area. <laughs> so HFC's the Hillary Field Centre named yeah, after Sir Ed? that's the one. And this is full of gear, basically, isn't it? Yeah, so this is where we um, issue and, and pass out all the gear that's dedicated for field events. So te- everything from tents to sleeping bags to food to cookers? Everything you can think of. <laughs> but there are some... Interesting rooms, which is to do with um, toileting in Antarctica, really. <laughs> yeah, toileting in the field in Antarctica is a little bit different. Um, so I guess over here we've got the field toilet assembly closet. Um, and here we have everything to do with uh, hard human waste. Um, uh, number twos. Yes, that's one. So it's full of red buckets. Yes, so the red bucket is the only bucket we'll be using out in the field for human waste. Um, and there we'll have uh, two plastic bags, so we go for a double bag system, um, and a few cable ties. So this will be used um, out in toilet tents in the field, and then we'll um, package that back up, bring it back to um, Scott Base, where it will be put into a shipping container and sent back to New Zealand for disposal. Uh huh. So the idea is that you're actually just not allowed to leave any kind of waste out there? Absolutely. So we aim to have as little um, impact on the environment as possible, and this is just one way that we manage that. So red bucket for number twos. Yeah, what about if I just want to have a pee out on the ice? Yes, uh, we also have um, a number of old retired drink bottles, um, which we designate as pee bottles. So not this cupboard, there must be another cupboard somewhere else. Yes, we do have the appropriately named pee lab just around the corner. Right, well I think I should point out that the pee bottles do have a handy big letter P on them, so there's no mistaking them for a drink bottle. And just uh, the drink bottles have a big, like, D on them, so (laughs) we can identify those as well. And it actually smells very clean in here. It doesn't smell like a dirty old urinal or anything. At the moment. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So you're meant to be coming out with us to Cape Crozier. So (laughs) like us, you're waiting. Yeah, absolutely, waiting for the weather to clear and hopefully um, get out to Cape Crozier and see the birds. I might have made it to Scott Base, but I am still waiting. This time for the weather to clear. Which does at least give me some time to visit an important historic building. It's part of the original Scott Base, which started life in 1957. And after helping restore it, no one knows it better now than this man. Can I just quickly check how loudly you talk? Okay, I talk reasonably loudly. My name's Al Fastier. I'm the program manager for the Antarctic Heritage Trust. Now, before I go inside, you need to induct me. The first step is you have to brush your boots to get all the snow and ice off them. There goes some snow and ice. Yep. Okay, I have clean boots. Okay, and I'll just do the same. So come on in. You're it. And it's a 
anteroom where you can, I presume, take all of your snowy clothes and boots off. Correct. The original Scott Bays had uh, several buildings and they all were separated by corrugated sort of linkways. And the idea of that was for two purposes. Um, one was for fire, and uh, in case of fire, the buildings were separated. So uh, fire is the greatest risk in Antarctica. But not only were the linkways for fire, they are also uh, for walking between the buildings. So when the weather is bad, you didn't have to um, put all your cold weather gear on to go between the buildings. So, yeah, a great concept. Excellent. Now, the sign on the wall says, Welcome to the TAE slash IGY hut, also known as Hillary's hut, or hut A, or even the mess. So can you tell me what the T-A-E-I-G-Y bit of that stands for? Okay, so that's the Trans-Antarctic Expedition. The true name is the Commonwealth Trans-Antarctic Expedition. And uh, that was the, uh, the, the trip that Ed did to support Bunny Fuchs, or Vivian Fuchs, to lay depots uh, from here to the uh, South Pole for his traverse of Antarctica. That's right, and Hillary famously drove the tractor all the way to the South Pole. Correct. So it was a, it was a Ferguson tractor, a wee, uh, I think it was 20 horsepower, very uh, lightly powered, and a lot of the Kiwi ingenuity, sort of number eight wire mentality went into it to keep the tractors going. And so not only Eb was the hero in getting there, so were the mechanics um, keeping the tractors running. So come on in. And a big freezer door. Yes, yeah, so this is going through sort of another cold port area. So they, they heated the hut and they had a, a diesel uh, boiler and uh, so that would heat the air up. And so they had a combination of air coming from inside the hut and outside the hut and they could mix it and uh, through that they'd blow uh, warm air through into the main mess area. And the thing that really excites me about, uh, about this piece of machinery is that we're still using it today. So we're not using a diesel boiler but we're using the same fan to blow the hot air up through the boiler system, into the duct system, and it's heated by electricity. So this sound that you can hear would have been the same as the sound um, that Ed and his team would have heard in the, in the mess. So, yeah, it's, um, it's great to have a working artefact and still working for its, uh, its, its purpose, heating the building. It's got a good feeling to it, this room. It's warm yeah. and, and it's light. For me, coming in, it feels like a kiwi batch beside the seaside, so it's very... Uh, yeah, it's very humble, very comfortable, and very Kiwi. One of the exciting things is that the base was actually designed, uh, constructed, and uh, sort of as a kit set, built in New Zealand, kit set again, brought down here, and, uh, and built. And this building, uh, A-Hut, was actually built in uh, 24 hours. So they still had to do work, but the building was enclosed um, in 24 hours. So, yeah. And it served as the mess hut. Yeah, so there were 23 men who uh, wintered over, and you can see it's a very small space. It's only, I'll just paste it out, make sure I get it right. One, two, three. So it's about three by eight metres, so very, very tight area. And you can imagine the men, you know, with their pipes and cigars and coming in from expeditions and telling stories. So it would have been a very lively place, but very warm and sort of sort of fuggy almost, you know, with, with the atmosphere. <laughs> Now, I imagine over time this building has needed a bit of TLC, having been here for more than 60 years. But just before we get to the story of this building, can we just step backwards to what you've been doing and what the bigger picture is in Antarctica? Okay. Because I was here nine years ago. Nine years and ago. you were hard at work at Cape Royds on Shackleton's hut up there. That's correct. I remember clearly meeting you at Shackleton's Nimrod hut. 
And so since then, the Trust has actually done two more conservation projects. It's conserved the original Discovery Hut at Hut Point, so that was Scott's original hut, and also uh, here at the TAE Hut. So they've both been big efforts. So in the grand scheme of things is that um, over the project of conserving the five historic bases uh, on Ross Island, we have uh, conserved more than 20,000 uh, artefacts and we've had 70 conservation professionals working on the project from 14 different nationalities. So it's, 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 it's a massive project and uh, the Antarctic Heritage Trust is uh, considered to be a world leader in cold climate conservation after this work that we have done. Was this one of your easiest challenges in terms of conservation? You would think so, but no. It was the complete opposite. I thought we were coming here and this was going to be a really easy project, but um, it's made of contemporary materials, so it's, it was made of panels. So the outer skin was aluminium, then it had blown rubber insulation and asbestos wall linings. And, uh, yeah, the building when we started the conservation was in really poor condition. Um, some of the asbestos was friable. Uh, the roof... Um, would leak like a sieve. The carpet uh, had diesel through it, and uh, yeah, it was in a really, really poor state. So all these battens you see in the kitchen furniture, the ice melt around the corner, it all had to be dismantled, put in the centre here. Everything had to be numbered and labelled, and we had to take pictures and drawings. And at the end, it was like a, like a puzzle putting it all back together. And I'm pleased to report there were no spare parts left over once we had completed it. So yeah, very challenging. Talk me through some of your favourite artefacts in this building. OK, if you come into the radio room, which is just through here. So once again, a, a small space. And the HF radios were used to talk to field parties for their safety, so they'd report in on a regular basis, but also to talk back to New Zealand. And I'm sure they had a regular scared uh, back to talk to friends and families, but I'd, I'd imagine that those... Uh, levels of communication uh, would have been small. And that's probably the, the biggest change that I s- see in Antarctica from then until now is the level of co- communication. So we can jump on a computer and uh, email each other, pick up a phone and talk, whereas it was, uh, yeah, it, was, it was pretty rare to be able to talk back home back in '57. And for the heroic period, explorers, they, they would never talk back to home until they physically got back again. So. I know, they spent years away, yeah, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bit like going to Mars, I suppose, or equivalent. Yeah, but the, the fascinating thing is that those early huts, I mean, you're, you're only talking about 100 years ago, just over 100 years Correct. ago. Correct. We all, we all kids seem to think it's a long time, but it's not at all. Like this hut here, when Ed arrived in 1957, those... His, heroic period uh, historic buildings were about the same age as this hut is now. So, it's yeah, it's a very short period of time. But coming back to your question, yep. is my favourite artefact is this handheld anemometer. Ah, for measuring wind. For me- measuring wind speed. And so you've got the cups here and the wind would blow into the cups, rotate, and depending on the speed of the cups, on the, uh, on the readout here, you see... Uh, yeah, the different wind speeds. And you can see it's in miles per hour, not, not kilometres that's per right. hour. That's right, and it belonged to Vivian Fuchs. Yes, and that's why it's so iconic. So this, he, he used this when he did the traverse across Antarctica. So, so not only is it a very special artefact, it's also very iconic. Yeah, I, I think um, in the kitchen is some, uh, another favourite artefact, which is it's quite large. Lead the so, way. Yeah, yeah. This is an ice melter, so... Um, it's enormous. <laughs> it's, it is enormous, and I know it's enormous and very heavy, but I had to move it out of this space to do the conservation work. 
But um, oh, there used to be a small glacier that's no longer there, um, about two kilometres away, and they used to go with a, uh, a Ferguson tractor, with a trailer, um, pick up the ice and come in and shovel it through the, the small doorway, I'll show you when we go out, um, into the ice melter, and there was a, uh, a uh, heater in here, um, and it would melt the water, get pumped up, go through the boiler, and then they'd have hot water for drinking, doing the dishes, and perhaps the odd shower. I was going to ask about showers. Yeah, yeah. I, I think water was still pretty scarce, so they wouldn't have had showers every day. And it's no different to Scott Base today. We're limited to, uh, like, three-minute showers every couple of days. Uh, as a bit of a piano player, I am delighted to see there's a piano in here as well. Yeah, there is. So the, the piano came in in about 1961 because we've got a lot of photographic records. And uh, I can just imagine the men uh, sitting around, you know, after coming in and ha- having dinner and uh, having a bit of a sing-song. But there's a, there's a great photograph over here of where they've actually acquired the, uh, the piano off the American program. And uh, over here... Um, we'll just walk, have to walk around the table. Yeah, of them uh, playing the piano uh, on the sea ice. And we've got the beaver in the background. And I just love the, sort of like this... Norwegian almost jersey and the top hat the guy is he looks such a character playing the piano so that this piano was up at Scott Base and it was only by chance we were looking at the historic photographs and we realised it was the original so last year um, we retrieved it we, from we, the bar. We, we retrieved it and it's down here and it's, it's probably one of the most challenging things we did was as if you remember when we came in through the linkway those tight corners that we had to get the piano through there so it was a bit of an epic. Uh, getting it in, but um, the Scott Base staff can come down and actually play it, so it'd be great to hear uh, you playing the Ivories if you can Sorry about that. Blame Al for asking me to play. That was Scott Joplin, by the way. It's the only piece I can play from memory, and it kind of suited the piano. Join me next time for part three of Voices from Antarctica, which may or may not involve some waiting, and definitely won't involve any piano playing. I'm Alison Balance, and this RNZ podcast was made possible by Antarctica New Zealand, Scott Bay staff, and Al Fastia from the Antarctic Heritage Trust. Thanks, everyone. You can find Voices from Antarctica on the RNZ Our Changing World podcast feed wherever you listen to podcasts, or check out rnz.co.nz. Catch you next time. Kia ora mai. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.